This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. Good crowd today. I'm glad to see everybody out. I wish that uh, wish that there were more here. I know uh, I'll be glad when we turn to the days when everybody can be out and about and be comfortable and everything. We've got a fine little group here and, and uh, so very proud of this church. I uh, hope everybody got a chart today. If you didn't get one, raise a hand. <clears throat> Would you look at those with me right quick? Uh, the outside part there you see on the screen in front of you, and so we'll be following that. I think I've knocked the tray back a little bit. But, um, on the inside are three pages of scriptures. They're in larger print and typed out for you, so if you'll just turn to the inside, the back side of the front sheet, and then the next two will have all the scriptures typed out that we'll use. And uh, I put that in larger font, hoping it would be uh, quite a bit more useful to you, easy to read, and, and so we'll hope for that. The opening scripture, Romans chapter 3, if you'd read with me Romans 3 verse 10, then I want to read verse 23 to 26. This is found below the title, also on the inside, if you want to look there. Romans 3 and 10. Paul said, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So Paul said so many things in just these few verses, and we won't have time to deal with all of them. Just a few remarks from them to set the stage for the study this morning. He says that there is none righteous, no, not one. As we look at all of humanity, there's not a righteous person on this earth who is righteous because of their own life and the way they've lived. In fact, verse 23, he says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have failed. Every one of us have transgressed and violated the law of God. And that has caused some very serious problems for God and for Christ. We may think it's a very light thing when sins are forgiven. After all, we talk to the Savior when we fall, or we talk to the Father, and we confess what we've done, and, and we believe and trust that He forgives us. And uh, it seems so easy, but it's not that easy. It costs God a great price to bring salvation to you and I. I've raised a question there below the title, and that's this question. How can God be just and justify the unjust? In other words, how can God be righteous and then declare righteous those who are unrighteous. How can God look at an unrighteous person and say, you are now righteous, and be righteous Himself in doing it? That's really the issue here. And that's the great dilemma God had when it came to our salvation. It was not an easy thing for God to forgive sins. It cost Jesus a bloody wooden cross. It cost Him agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's no telling the suffering that Christ went through to bring this salvation about. So it was a very, very difficult thing for God to arrange. And the, the text that we read here talks about how God might be just and the justifier 
of him which believeth in Jesus. God has to keep his integrity before men and angels. He cannot look at us at sinners and say, well, you have sinned, you failed me, but I'm just going to forgive you. God can't do that. Because God has decreed that sin has to be punished, and God decreed long ago that the wages of sin is death, that if you sin, you die. That's what He told Adam and Eve in the garden. In the day that you eat of this tree that I've commanded you not to eat, in that day ye shall surely die, not only physically, but separated from God Himself by sin. And so it wasn't easy then for God to forgive because that penalty cannot be overlooked. God says, if you sin, you die. And the text that we read there says that all have sinned, that there's none righteous. Therefore, every one of us, as God views it, is worthy of death. And that posed a great problem for God. What's He going to do? I'm sure the angels wondered the same thing. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that talks about how the angels desired to look into our salvation. And if you'll just think about it a minute, you'll see why. In 2 Peter 2 and 4, if you'll read there with me, the Bible says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, or Tartaru, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. These angels that were in heaven, looking down, have watched you and I, all humanity, sin. And they know what God thinks about sin, and they know what God's done about sin, because they've seen their fellow angels thrown out of heaven. They've seen them taken down to Tartaru and put in chains of darkness to be reserved to the day of judgment to be punished. These angels know the holiness of God. They see Him continually. They know how holy He is. They cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and praise Him for that. And they know His justice, and they know His righteousness. And I'm sure they've wondered, what in the world is He going to do with humanity? We've seen our fellow angels thrown out of heaven for sin. Every one of these human beings that He's created, man has sinned. What's He going to do with them? Is He going to punish them? You know, and of course they know the decree that if you sin, you die. But evidently there was something else they didn't know, and that was the full plan that God had in mind. These angels, and all of us should be, are aware that God punishes every sin. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse uh, 1 to 3. The Bible says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, that's Moses' law now, given by angels, if uh, the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? Under the Old Testament age, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. And uh, let's just look at some examples of that. The, the writer in Hebrews talked about it. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, if you're reading there, verse 24 to 31. Hebrews 10, 24, the Bible says, And let us consider one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, and this means to practice sin, if we sin willfully after that we've received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, 
which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and had done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So the writer here talks about sinning willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth. He says there's no more sacrifice for sins. There's a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. And he, then he mentioned in verse 28, if you'll notice there with me again, that the, the one who despised Moses' law died without mercy. Let's look at an example of that from uh, Numbers 15 there, verse 32 to 36. Here's an example of somebody who despised Moses' law and died without mercy. And this is what the angels knew. This is what you and I know. We've read these scriptures. While the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day, and they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in ward, because it was not declared what should be done unto him. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp, and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Here's a man that despised Moses' law, had died without mercy under two or three witnesses. He was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. What did God do? God said, take him outside the camp and stone him to death. I want you to kill this man. Now this is what the angels know. They've watched this. They've watched God's justice. And I'm sure they, they were wondering, what in the world is he going to do with humanity? Because the one that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Now notice verse 28 up there in Hebrews 10 and 29, of how much sore punishment, worse punishment, suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God, and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and had done despite unto the Spirit of grace. If despising Moses' law brought the death penalty without mercy, then how much worse is it to violate the law of Christ? That's really what the writer's asking. And of course we're told here that the Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the dilemma then that God had when He, when he formulated a plan to take care of our sins. Because He's holy, He's righteous, He's decreed that if you sin you die, and God can't change that. And so when you and I sin, there's got to be death occur. When God gave the law to mankind back at Mount Sinai, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 27, 26. He laid it out very clear what He expected. The children of Israel are told, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So when God sent the law down to man, He said, You are cursed if you don't keep all that's in this law. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. Do you understand what Moses just told the people? You are cursed, he says, as he hands them the law, if you don't do everything in this law. And the people said, Amen, or so be it. They said, All right, 
Moses, give us the law. We'll keep it. They didn't keep it. You and I haven't kept it. We have not kept God's Word. In uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 again, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now what did God say would be the penalty if we violate that law? Cursed. He says if you're, you're cursed if you don't continue in everything that's written in this law. And you and I haven't done that. Neither did Israel. And so what does that mean? It means we're cursed. It means God's cursing is upon us. And that's the great dilemma God had. How's He going to remove that curse? You say, well, Pat, I haven't been all that bad in my life. You know, probably some of you may, done, may not have done a lot of things that other people have done, but I like to look sometimes at the works of the flesh over in Galatians 5. And every time I read that list, I feel more like having a prayer than to do preaching. Let's read Galatians 5, 19 to 21. If, if anyone's disposed to think they're really not that bad of a person, let's just read this list. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I was also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to look at that list. Think about things on here that you have done. And when I read that list, I can say several things I'm guilty of. I don't know about you. Look at the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, ever committed sexual sins? Anyone? Idolatry, witchcraft, have you ever hated anyone? Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, ha uh, seditions, heresies, uh, envyings, did you ever envy anyone? Murders, drunkenness, ever been drunken? Revelings, and such like. And there's a lot of things under this such like. And when you read that list, we begin to see now what a problem God had. Because every one of us are guilty of such things, and the Bible plainly says, They that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All of these things will come out in the day of judgment. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, Solomon said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Everything comes out, good or bad, at the judgment. The secret things, even. Things that maybe we've hidden back that nobody else knows about. Things that have been thought or said or done. All of those things come to light in the day of judgment if they're not forgiven and dealt with. And there's no respect to persons. It's not going to matter who we are. It won't matter if I'm a preacher, if you're an elder or deacon, if you're a, one that's full of good works. It won't matter your skin color. It won't make any difference what position you hold, what job you have, how much money you've got, how much property we've amassed. Romans 2 and verse 11 says, For there is no respect to persons with God. And so on the day of judgment, things have to come out unless there's a way for you and I to get forgiveness. 
But in order for God to forgive, He's got to also be just. And how does He justify? To justify means to acquit or declare righteous. How does God look at me and how does He look at you and say, you are holy, you are righteous in my sight, and how does He do that and be righteous Himself and just in doing it? See? Because if He just lets our sin go and the penalty's not been paid, that's not justice. If we bring criminals into our courtroom here in, in the United States and they violated the laws of our land and the judge looks at them and says, says well, I know, you, I know you stole this or I know you murdered this person or you did that, but I forgive you and you're pardoned and just go your way. That's not justice, is it? So God can't do it that way either. But thankfully, thankfully He had a plan. And that plan is the reason we're here today. And that plan involved His only begotten Son leaving glory with the Father and coming down on this earth to live as a man. In Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So God's plan involved this, and this was formulated before the foundation of the world. Jesus is said to be crucified or slain before the foundation of the world. God had this plan in His mind. I do not believe God would have created humanity if He hadn't had a way to save us. What good would it, would it have been? He knew that we would sin. He already knew that. In His foreknowledge, He knows all things. He knows the future. And so why then would He put human beings on this earth knowing they would sin and He'd have to punish them if there wasn't a way to save them, to offer them grace and forgiveness? And so God had a plan even before the creation, before the foundation of the world. And that plan involved, at some point in history, sending His Son, Jesus, down to this earth. And the Bible says that He was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I want you to think about the glory Jesus had. I want you to think about what He's like. Picture Him, him living there with the Father from all eternity in all of His glory. You know, John tried to look on Jesus in Revelation 1 and fell to the earth like a dead man just because of the Lord's glory. I don't think we could look on Jesus' glory right now. It blinded Paul on the way to Damascus, didn't it? Just the glory of Him, we're told, was brighter than the sun at noon. So we can't imagine the power and the glory that Jesus has. Now, He, ha he has to leave all of that for a time. Give it all up. This is, hu this is humility. Divest Himself of all that power and glory and come down here to earth and confine Himself to a little body like we live in. We're talking about the God of all creation, the one that spoke the sun into existence, that created all the stars that filled the oceans with water and spoke it into existence out of nothing. Leaving that and coming down and confining Himself for 33 years in a body like this. In other words, becoming a baby. Messing His diapers like we do. Think of the humility, God coming down and living like that, becoming a little child like that growing in the womb like we all did, and being born. And then as a child, 
the playful things that children do. This is the God of heaven coming down, and he's a little child at one time like these children, and played like they do, and was carefree like they are, and then grew into a fine young man. And then to live the life that he had to live and to accomplish the mission that he had to do to go to the cross and suffer and die and shed his blood. We're talking about God becoming man, and that's, that's the humility here of Christ. And Paul said, let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And so he asks us and commands us to humble ourselves just like Jesus did in coming to this earth. When the Lord came to earth in order to save you and I, the plan's already been made. Jesus had to live without sin. That's the reason the devil works so hard on Christ. If he could get Jesus to sin one time, he destroys the plan of salvation. Because after all, if Jesus commits a sin, then he's going to have to die himself for his own sin. In other words, the Lord will have to go to the lake of fire and pay the debt. This is the risk that, that Christ took when he came down, clothed in flesh and lived among us and was subject to all our passions and lusts and appetites and all the temptations that we experience. Had he ever yielded once to them, he couldn't die for you and I. He would have to be punished for his own sin, would he not? But he came down here, and the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Imagine living a life of 33 years here with all the passions of youth and everything that Jesus experienced like us, never having sinned one time. In 1 Peter 3:18, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the spirit, but, or being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. So he suffered the just for the unjust, see. Lived without sin. It had to be that way because you and I can't take care of our own sins. We sung a song today, Jesus paid it all. We didn't pay any of it. We couldn't pay any of it. So there's nothing that we can do for sin. I see people a lot that try to reform their life. Uh, they try to make up for things they've done wrong. There are a lot of people that try to hide their sins and maybe get rid of them that way. But there's really nothing that you and I can do about our sins. Once we tell a lie or commit any kind of sin, we can't do anything about that sin unless God forgives us. It's just there. And we can't cover it up and our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. I'm reminded of a story back in the Garden of Eden there in Genesis 3 and 7 when Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit. The Bible says that the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now they're naked. Now they're ashamed. And what do they do? Well, they round up some fig, trees, uh, fig tree leaves and try to piece them together and make a little apron down here and cover their nakedness and everything. Fig leaves don't work too well. They'll dry up after a while, won't they? That doesn't cover the guilt of the conscience. It might cover the body temporarily and not even a good covering at that, but it does nothing to take away the sin that they've committed in eating of that tree that God forbid. But they try to cover it up. And then notice verse 21 when God got ready to cover them what He had to do. 
Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. Where did God get the skins to clothe Adam and Eve? You say, well, Pat, some animal was evidently killed and the hide taken from it made, made into suitable clothing for Adam and Eve. Well, what did that innocent animal do? Why take its life? Why does it have to give up its life to clothe what Adam and Eve did? They're not properly clothed in the presence of God, see. So he made them coats of skins. And that meant that some innocent animal suffered and died that Adam and Eve could be properly clothed. And that's a picture of what Jesus had to do, that in order to clothe us properly in God's sight with righteousness, then life, innocent life, had to be given up. And that's what God's trying to picture there in the Garden of Eden with these coats of skin for Adam and Eve. That there's going to have to be innocent life given up and forfeited in order to clothe us properly. That's a picture of Jesus. So the Lord comes down and lives innocently because He's got to give His life for you and I to shed His blood. That's the kind of sacrifice God's got to have. In Genesis, uh, Genesis, I think I have 11.4 there, the Bible talks about Cain and Abel and their offerings to God. And the Bible says that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Remember Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve, the, uh, the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, came to worship God one day. And Cain gave an offering to God of the fruit of the ground, something he'd grown, maybe the best he had. Cain offered, or Abel offered the firstling of his flock, that means a one-year-old lamb, and the fat thereof. Now how did he know that God might want a lamb, and how did he know he wanted fat? Because God had spoken and told these boys what he wanted. God wants a blood sacrifice. And Cain substituted fruit of the ground. And the writer in Hebrews says that Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And by it he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. By it he being dead yet speaketh. God wanted the blood sacrifice. He didn't want fruit of the ground. And he told these boys what he wanted, and Abel gave him that. But the point I want us to get is, that in order to, to please God with this worship, with this sacrifice, God had to have life, innocent life, taken and offered as an offering for sin. And that's what Abel gave him. Now that animal that Abel slaughtered there couldn't take away Abel's sin. But it was a picture of one coming that could, Jesus. And so God was teaching man through these animal sacrifices down through the years that there would have to come a time when the true Lamb of God would leave heaven and come down here and in His innocence would pour out His life blood and would die for the sins of the world. And that's what He's showing in these. In Hebrews 9 and 22, the Bible says, "And Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now this is God's plan. That in order to save you and I who are guilty of all these sins, the penalty for what we've done is death. Somebody's got to die. It's going to be us or it's going to be God's Son, but that penalty's going to get paid. Rest assured of this one thing, 
God's justice will not let one sin go unpunished. Not one. No matter what we've done, no matter what we may think, we will not get away with anything we've said, done, or thought without death being the penalty for that, for that sin, no matter what it is. If I can leave this assembly today and go out and tell a lie to somebody, that's got to be paid for. God's not going to let that go. What's the penalty? Death. Either Pat Manon's going to die in the lake of fire, eternally separated from God to pay that debt, and I'll never get through paying it. Or Jesus will pay it for me, and I'll let Him do that. That's really God's plan, and so everything hinged upon Christ. So coming down to earth, the Lord lived the sinless life, as we talked about, and because He was sinless when it came time for Him to pay the debt for our sins, for Jesus to pay it all, Christ was made sin in our place. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, the Bible says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Picture, if you will, what's happening now. All of this sin, and this is just a short list of things that man sometimes does. All of that was laid over on Jesus that day. And He was made sin for us. Our sins. The Lord never committed adultery, fornication, uncleanness, or lasciviousness and such things. All sexual sins that day were laid over on Him. Can you, can you imagine all of the adultery and fornication that's ever been committed? All that laid over on Jesus. And now in His innocence, here He is with all this horrible stuff laid on Him as if He had done it. Look at the next verse here in, in uh, 1 Peter 2 and 24. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So this idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, all of that that day were laid over on Christ as if He had committed those things. Why? Because there's a penalty for those things and it's death. And God didn't want me and you to pay it. And we can't afford to pay it. Because if we wind up in the lake of fire, we never get out of there and we never finish paying. And God knows this. And this is the reason our Savior came to this earth. All of that sin laid on Him. And that day at Calvary, when the sun refused to shine from noon to three o'clock, God poured out His wrath that day on our sins by pouring it out on Jesus. And the Lord became cursed of His own Father that day. This is Paul's argument in Galatians 3. In Galatians 3, 10 to 13, Paul will quote Deuteronomy 27, 26. Let me remind you of that scripture. When the law was given by Moses, Moses said, Cursed be ye, that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So Moses said, You are cursed if you don't keep this law. Now listen to Paul's argument in Galatians 3, verse 10 to 13. He said, For as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, now he quotes Deuteronomy, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, 
but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Now watch verse 10 or 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. In order to save you and I, Jesus has got to come down, live sinlessly, and actually become accursed of His own Father. And that day at Calvary, God pours out His wrath on our sins, on His own Son, and Jesus pays the debt that we couldn't afford to pay. And when He does this, it allows God to be just when He forgives us. And it's not that He's letting our sin go, brothers, brethren and sisters. He's not letting anything we've done go. The debt's been paid by Christ. That's the reason He can forgive, and that's the reason He can be just in doing it. This was His whole plan, and this is what it took. It took that blood. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed uh, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That blood is the only thing today standing between you and me and the lake of fire, were it not for the blood of Jesus. When we take communion today, let's remember that. If it's not for the blood He shed on the cross, we're doomed. Because that's the payment for our sins. That blood is His life. The wages of sin is death, and life has to be given. Just like those animals that were killed in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve, there has to be life given to clothe you and I in God's sight with righteousness. And it was a, it was a horrible thing for God to have to do. Jesus that day is accursed of His Father. And as He sheds His blood, that pays the debt. Now you and I get the benefits of that blood when we put faith in it. And when we have obedient faith in the blood of Christ, the Bible says that Jesus becomes our propitiation. That was in the opening verse that we read. That uh, He is the propitiation through faith in His blood. When we put faith in the blood of Christ, that blood does several things. Number one, Jesus becomes our propitiation. He appeases God's anger and wrath. God's mad at us. And this anger that God has toward you and I has to be assuaged. It has to be, uh, it has to be set aside. It has to be dealt with. God's anger has got to turn and uh, be removed from off of us. Jesus does that. His blood does that. It enables God, when we have faith in that blood, to not be angry with us anymore. It removes His wrath, see. The Bible speaks of that in another passage I don't have on the the chart here with you today in Romans 5, I believe around verse 8. He says, Being therefore justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's going to come a day when God's going to come unglued. We haven't seen the anger side of God yet. But on the day of judgment, man's going to see it. God's angry. And if it's not for the blood of Jesus, He's going to be angry with us on the account of sin. But when we've got faith in that blood, it takes that wrath of God away. It does something else. That blood of Jesus completely pays the debt that we owe because that blood is His life. Now how valuable is the life of Jesus? How valuable is your life? 
if we had a dog up here in, in front and uh, uh, we compared your life to the life of a dog, how much more valuable is your life than a dog's life? Well, you couldn't create enough dogs. There, there wouldn't be enough dogs ever made to equal the value of one human life. In like manner, there's not enough human beings, as valuable as we think our life is, there's not enough of us to ever possibly equal the value of Jesus' life because He's the Son of God. He's that much higher than us, just like we're that much higher than a, than a dog or some other animal. And so when He sheds His blood, it's sufficient to pay the debt for everybody because that life is so valuable. He's not only just innocent, this is the life of the Son of God. And it's more valuable than all human life could ever be, or the life of angels, or anyone else, because this is God's life given up. And that blood is sufficient to pay that debt. So that blood quells God's anger against us, pays our debt that we owe for sin, and it enables God to be just when He justifies us because our debt's been paid. He didn't let it go. Jesus paid it. And friends, that's what it took for you and me to be saved. Do you think if God could have saved us in some other way, He wouldn't have done it? Of course He would have. He would have done anything other than watch His Son suffer like that at Calvary. But this is the only way He could be just and justify the unjust. And now that leaves you and I, when we hear the gospel, that leaves man with a decision. He's got these sins and they need to be forgiven and paid for and God's anger needs to be quelled and God needs to be able to forgive and be just in doing it, but He's going to need Jesus' blood and people are standing at a crossroad when they, when they hear the story of Jesus. They've got a choice right here. When we hear the gospel, here's the choice. We can reject it and we can go on to the lake of fire and we can pay for any of this sin that we've committed and we will pay. God will have justice. Or we can put our confidence and trust in Jesus Christ and our faith and our obedience in Him and obey His gospel and Jesus will pay that debt for us. We can be baptized into Christ and, uh, and He'll take care of that. Let's read some scripture, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 26 to 27. Paul said, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I read a few more verses than what I had there. So we're baptized into Christ. This is the option we have. And thankfully, a lot of people here today have obeyed and been baptized into Christ. If you will, turn around to the front of your charts now and look over on this right side and just very quickly, let's notice what we have being in Christ. Let's notice our salvation. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if you're baptized into Christ and you're abiding there, Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
If you're in Christ, if you've been baptized into Jesus today, you are a new creation. If you're not in Christ today, you're the same old you. There's nothing new about you. That word if there is a condition. It implies a condition. It always introduces a, a conditional sentence in which one thing is made to depend upon another one. In other words, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What if he's not in Christ? Then he's not a new creature. If he's in Christ, old things have passed away and all's become new. If he's not in Christ, old things have not passed away. And if you're here today and you haven't been baptized into Christ, all of your sins are right there with you. And should you die, should something happen, should the Lord come, you're going to have to go to hell and pay for the sins because God's going to have them punished. He has to because of His justice. He can't let them go. And He's gone to great trouble to save every one of us. He's given His only begotten Son and watched Him die a horrible death just to save us. And here's a Christ-rejecting world out here who for the most part doesn't care. They're going to live their life the way they want to live it. And they, they're not even thinking about the future. And when the Lord comes, they're going to get swept up in judgment and cast into this lake of fire for eternity. You and I know better. We know better than to wind up in this place. God says, I'll give you a new start. I'll make you a new creature. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're in Christ today, you're not under condemnation. Doesn't matter what you've done. All of that's been forgiven. Not even the devil himself can appear before God and, make a, and level a charge against you and me. If we're in Christ, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past. If we're faithful to Him, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But it took the suffering of Jesus at Calvary to bring that about. And how thankful we ought to be. Ephesians 1 and 3, this was mentioned earlier, maybe by Ben in his prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus today, you've got every spiritual blessing God wants you to have. Righteousness, peace, joy, hope, comfort, strength, whatever spiritual blessing that you can think of, salvation, forgiveness, whatever it be, every bit of that's found in Christ. And if you're outside of Christ today, you don't have any of that. You may have food and drink and sunshine and, and different things in this life, but there are no spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1 and 7, being in Him, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. If you're in Him today, you've got redemption and forgiveness because that's where it's found, is in Christ. Acts 4 and 12, Peter said to the Jews of Christ, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in Christ, nowhere else. If you're in Him, you have it. If you're outside of Him, you don't. Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27. Being in Christ, we're children of God and not just children, but heirs. He says, you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And 
If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are an heir of a fortune, an heir of everlasting life if we're in Christ. And finally, in 1 John 1, verse 7 to 9, what happens if we sin as Christians? John says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, if we abide in Jesus, if we walk in the light, if we walk with the Lord, if that's really the desire of our heart, then that blood continually cleanses us every day, every moment. We're kept clean through this blood. When we sin, we confess it. When we sin, we repent of it. And we strive our best to walk with the Lord. And as long as we're making that walk and that effort and living that faithful and penitent life, that blood's going to keep us clean. We've got to have this continual cleansing. It's not just the past sins that have to be dealt with. It's what we do every day. Every day we do things that, if not forgiven, would land us in this lake of fire. And if not for that continual cleansing of His blood as we walk with Him, then we'd be in miserable shape with no hope. But you see, even that blood is applied to us every day in our Christian walk. That's why we talk about coming to church. That's why Ben talked a lot in his prayer today about holiness and righteousness and living right and godliness. Is because that's what keeps us clean. Is trying to, to walk with the Lord and be His. It took a lot, didn't it, for God to justify us. It cost Him. God forgives sins, folks. When we ask Him and confess, He forgives. But it takes a bloody wooden cross in order to do it. And it cost Him the dearest thing He had in heaven. And how grateful we ought to be. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life and you've never obeyed Him in baptism today, this is your opportunity. Because you're going to have to pay for your sins. And I want you to understand in this study today that God has got to punish sin. It's, it's, it's just what He has to do. It's His justice. It's the right thing to do. And He's decreed the wages of sin is death. We don't want anyone paying that debt. And God doesn't either. And that blood is available for you today if you'll come and obey the Lord Jesus in baptism. And if you've started out in Christ and you're walking with Him, but things are not right in your life, and you need the prayers of this congregation, if they would help you in some way, we'll certainly offer that to you as well. We're told to confess our faults one to another and pray one for another that we may be healed that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if you need the prayers of this congregation, you come forward today if you do. We invite you to come as we stand and sing the song of invitation. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.